the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as you know, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. Nothing going on Tuesday. That means we've got more time to uh, get your phone calls. We'd love to have them. One quick comment before we get started. We're two days away from our men's retreat. We're going to be doing the show here. Paula will be here in the studio Thursday for the program. And then on Friday, uh, Pastor Gino and I will be doing it live from the Retreat Center. Um, One of the things that Pastor Gino and I have in common is that he also does a talk show on a Salem radio station in Denver. And uh, he's been doing it for, for, I think, longer than I have. And um, uh, so it'll be interesting to, to, uh, to do the program together with him. Okay, let me get to a first phone call. we got Abel on line one. Abel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, I have a question. In John chapter 11, uh, John uh, the Baptist was in prison, and and I'm kind of confused because some people would tell me one thing, and, and I don't go to concordance. I kind of meditate on this so the Holy Spirit could be at work with me. But it says that John had doubts, and he sent his disciples to see if Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, so my question to you is, John was full of the Holy Spirit. He had seen Jesus baptizing, and, and he still had doubts. Is there, is there something else that I'm missing? Yeah, no, Abel, I don't think there's anything you're missing. I, I think the doubts... Um, are are uh, 100% Jewish in this case, but but they're also very personal for John. Now, clearly, John knew who Jesus was when Jesus walked into the water at the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John said, "It is I who should be baptized by you." He knew who Jesus was. We also know that they were distantly related. Uh, and don't know if they'd had any interaction. We're not given that kind of information. But John knew who he was. Now, here's the problem. John was put in prison. Uh, no doubt he was beaten. Uh, we know that eventually he would be beheaded. Um, and and as the time got drew near for John to die, um, he just would have thought, like a lot of us, Abel, that, that this isn't what I expected to happen. 
You know, Jesus was rejected by Jews, even though they knew uh, that the Messiah was coming. They knew what day he was coming, the triumphal entry. Still, they rejected him. Why? Because he wasn't what they expected. He wasn't what they wanted. Now, in John the Baptist's case, we know John the Baptist had a heart that was right before God. But John the Baptist thought that, that the kingdom was coming. He kept saying, prepare the way. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he thought when the Messiah came, he would deliver Jews from the Romans and, and he would restore the kingdom and the throne of David to Israel. Uh, John the Baptist, while he, I'm sure, loved the word of God, John the Baptist, like most Jews, almost all of the Jews of the time, they had no inkling at all about what the suffering servant passages, especially from Isaiah, meant. And so their expectations weren't met, and that was a source of the doubts. Not only was the, the, the those, those false expectations a source of doubts, but make no mistake, the enemy, Abel, would have been uh, really busy in John the Baptist. If he could do anything to discredit John the Baptist, he was bringing doubt the same way he'll bring doubt to you and to me if the opportunity is presented. So it's not that he didn't know. There's nothing more to this. It's just I'm in jail, and and a lot of us, we have the, the idea that if as long as I'm serving God, everything will be okay. And that's just not always the way it is in this world. That's a great question, Abel. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Ariana from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. Have you ever heard of the Bible Project? If so, what do you think about it? Uh, Ariana, I've heard of it, but that's all. Um, uh, When I got your question, I did a little bit of research. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all for anything that gets the Bible into the hands of people. And I especially like this uh, because they provide it for free to people. Um, I haven't had time to do any research on who's behind it and what the background of the organization is um, um, or, or even how they fundraise. But uh, Ariana, the, it appears to be legitimate. It appears to be something that... that um, the Lord is using, so getting the the Word of God in people's hands is great. I think their emphasis is on technology or apps, things like that, uh, but um, I, I don't see any reason to be anything other than encouraging toward them and about them. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Cliff, and he, he puts it, made me laugh, flesh versus spirit with a question mark. How do I surrender more of myself? Cliff, this is the single most important question each and every one of us can deal with every morning. Now, Cliff, I don't know about you, but for me, I get up in the morning and I'm in my flesh. Uh, I, I tease with the church here, tell them my favorite word these days, at least in terms of the number of times I use it, is ouch. You know, when you're my age, the body hurts and you're stiff and I have nightmares at night. And so I've got to, as soon as my eyes open, I've got to start thinking about the Lord. I actually have a radio uh, by my bed. And as soon as I am able, I put an earplug in my ear. So I'm listening actually to the word of God being taught um, um, first thing. Uh, and, 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 And often when I can't sleep many times during the night. So. I just want to be sure that I'm, I'm, I'm in the Spirit of God. So the first thing I have to do is surrender. Now, Cliff, I've always had this picture. I, I think in pictures. I don't know whether that's good or bad. It's just the way it is for me. And I've always had this picture of a throne in my heart. And that's a throne that belongs only to Jesus. But when I get up in the morning, I'm actually the one sitting on that throne. So I actually go through a mental process of... of, of disinviting myself, get off Jesus's throne. And then I picture uh, me getting down and Jesus taking his rightful position on the throne of my heart. And he's in charge. And then I really work hard all day to spend time with him. Um, um, When you're walking in the, in the spirit, Jesus is there and his presence is the fullness of joy. That would mean that we, if we're with Jesus, we're not going to be grumpy. We're not going to be cynical or sarcastic. And that's another thing I have to struggle with. I'm, I'm a, I can be sarcastic and I can be cynical. I, in fact, that's my natural condition. 
So uh, I have to work really hard, and I do work really hard, literally, Cliff, all day, to make sure I'm walking in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. When I say on this radio program and I say here at Calvary Chapel, over and over and over, just be with Jesus, that's the way we walk in the Spirit. Now, you asked, how do you surrender more of yourself? I think, for me, the key to that is identification. I need to be able to identify what my behavior is. The behavior, and I have to be honest about my behavior. If I'm grumpy, um, if, if, I, if I'm, I'm instantly starting to think the worst about people or situations, I know that's flesh and not spirit. And I also need to be able to know when I'm walking in the spirit and remember how different it feels. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, tells us what the ugly fruit of the flesh is. And so if you look at that list and you can say, oh, jealousy, envy, pride, um, anger, uh, those things, that's not spirit at all. That's just flesh. Then I can identify it instantly, repent of it, and then say, Jesus, I need more of you. Fill me with your presence, Lord. And then the difference in my behavior will be obvious, not just to to me, but to everybody else. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So if my life looks like that list of things, then I'm walking in the Spirit. So it is a daily battle, an all-day, everyday battle. And I think that identification, at least for me, Cliff, is absolutely essential in determining um, who's in control. And uh, I, I, I so appreciate that you asked the question, uh, but remember, you're in for a fight every day, and it's got to be a fight you, you, you've you determined in your heart to win. So, Cliff, I hope that helps. This is, for me, the thing that I focus on more than anything else, day after day, day in and day out. Thank you for that. Let's go to Victor on line one. Victor, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, there was a, a, a teacher that uh, was for uh, was teaching uh, that the tribulation period, the seven-year period, is divided into the, the first three and a half is the tribulation period. The second half is called the great tribulation period. And using that uh, justified uh, or, or taught was teaching that the rapture would occur at the mid midpoint, which would be uh, right at the three and a half year point. And I was wondering what scriptures you could use to refute that. I can do that, Victor. Thank you. And by the way, I just uh, ta- I just taught on this uh, last Friday and took a whole a half hour or so of questions on this very thing. Um, the, the judgments of God begin in chapter 6. Uh, you're right, there are people that say, and they're, they're mid-tribbers, uh, by that I mean they, they think the rapture is going to happen at the midway point of the tribulation. There are some who say it's the pre-wrath uh, stand, which is, which is about the same thing, not exactly the same thing as the mid-trib, but, but about the same thing as the mid-trib. Now, here's what we have to understand. In chapter 6, the judgments of God begin. These are the seal judgments first, then the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl or the vial judgments. And that's what takes up most of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 forward. But the very first chapter, uh, the very first judgments, that is the wrath of God, are in chapter 6. Now people will say, no, that's not the case. It's at this, the trumpet judgments because... Paul says, at the last trump, we will be raptured. And so it's the last trumpet judgment. But here's the key, and and Victor, this is 100% proof that their position is wrong. If you go to chapter 6 in the book of Revelation, in verses 16 and 17, it says this, they called to the mountains and the rock. These are those who are being judged in the judgments, in in uh, in the sealed judgments. 
They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And here's the key. And from the wrath of the Lamb. And then verse 17 says, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Two times, two verses, wrath is word. The the word wrath is used. W-R-A-T-H. And clearly that's the wrath of God. That's what the great tribulation is, is the wrath of God being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And it clearly begins in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, and that's during the seal judgments, which are the first ones. Now, there are some important distinctions. The seal judgments um, are the least of all the judgments. Now, there's still going to be uh, two and a half million people who die. Um worldwide and and, and 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 probably more than that my number might be wrong but uh, uh there's going to be terrible terrible things that are going to happen and and that's the wrath of god we also know that for the first three and a half years the two witnesses uh, moses and elijah are going to be witnessing and withstanding anyone and everyone who comes uh to attack them uh, and, and the judgment of God is going to fall on those who attack him. And then at the midway point of the Great Tribulation, uh, just when the man that we call the Antichrist is going to, to cause the abomination, cause the desolation, he's going to, going to set up this, this statue of himself in the Holy of Holies in the, in the New Temple, and he's going to demand to be worshipped. But just before that, um, Moses and Elijah are going to be killed. God is going to let them die. They're going to be dragged through the streets for three days. And then in front of everybody, the whole world that's left, they're going to rise from the dead. After their bodies have been desecrated, Moses and Elijah are going to rise and ascend into heaven. So there, there, there's that distinction made at the midway point of the Great Tribulation. But chapter 6, verses 7, 16 and 17 clearly state that the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, has already begun, and that is with the seal judgments, the very first judgments. So, Victor, there, there, there should be no way to argue that. I know people will still say, but I just don't believe it's the real wrath. Well, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, is what they say, and uh, that's what the Bible has to say about it. Victor, good question. Thank you very, very much. We had, I, I mentioned, we had a... Uh, uh, Q&A Friday night. We don't typically do that on our Bible study nights, uh, but I turned uh, the, the teaching on the rapture into two studies, really a study and a half, and then I wanted to, to just be sure that if there were any questions people could ask them, I wanted everybody to be certain of what the rapture is, when the rapture is going to happen, and those kind of things, and I was really blessed by the, the level of interest and blessed by the questions, so it was really, really good. We have a phone call. This is Jimmy on line two. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to the retreat place. I, um, I haven't given you my. I haven't gave you gave you my money yet. Uh, are y'all going to be open tonight? <laughs> we, 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 Jimmy, it's okay. We'll turn you upside down and shake it out of your pockets. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't a trip down there. I was supposed to go last Friday, but something came up. So. Don't worry about it. You pay. You can pay when you get to the retreat. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it to you before. But okay. I'm so happy because they weren't going to let me go. They weren't going to let me go. Good for you. Yeah, I trusted in the Word of God. There's a scripture that I looked up and I said, Look, Lord, I'm going to trust in your Word. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm just going to trust in your Word. And I don't know the scripture from offhand, but... and. <laughs> And I just said, okay. And then they came later on and said, no, we're going to give you your vacation. Good. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. All right. Take care, Pastor. Bye. Okay. That's your only question. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Here is our next question. It comes from Mark. He said, Pastor Ron, what is your view on churches going into debt to build facilities, etc.? Um, Mark, my view personally is based only on what God has told me. Um, you, you know, obviously, it's it's very expensive to build buildings. And um, uh, the Lord has made it clear to me. And, and it might just be because I had an issue. I thought we needed a building. Um, but the Lord has made it clear to me that we're not to borrow. 
the way he said it to me, Mark, was that uh, his money at this church is for ministry and not for mortgage. So I understood that to be very clear. Jesus is forbidden Calvary Chapel of San Antonio and only Calvary Chapel of San Antonio from building a building unless we had all the money to pay for it. Now, since we don't have any money and since we already do everything free, uh, unless somebody would drop a boatload of money on us, that's never going to happen. So just for us, um, we are not permitted by the Lord to go into debt to build a facility. And Lord knows, Mark, we need a facility. We need one desperately. Um, But God says, nope, I'm doing fine. Uh, The work's being done. And so that's where we are right now, Mark. Now, with regard to other churches, I have no problem with with a church whose leadership decides that they can enter into a responsible mortgage. It's a mortgage that they can afford, uh, and they need to accommodate uh, the numbers of people that are coming. I have no problem with it, whether it's a small church or a big church. A friend of mine, a, a Calvary guy in Austin, in Pflugerville, actually, um, they had a big building that, that he inherited, and uh, their church isn't big enough to fill it. They just sold it, and uh, property values are so high. They sold it, and they, they've got enough money to pay for a church to be uh, a more appropriate sized church to be built and constructed um, and, and have uh, money left over to pay cash. Uh, for it and and do a lot of other things God wants him to do. So, um, Mark, I just I think it's it's fine if if God leads some people to build a church building and to finance it to mortgage it. Uh, just for us, it's not. And I think uh, for for the churches that do, uh, I think it's arrogant for anybody like me to say, well, because I do it this way, you have to do it that way. God works with everybody differently, and His plan for our church is not to do that. Uh, there are some churches here. The, the biggest church in San Antonio is Community Bible Church. And uh, I've been in their building twice, uh, and I was amazed. Uh, you know, if, if, I, if I had as many people as they have going to their church, I probably would have a, a lavish building and facility. Uh, their facility was was functional. It was clean. It worked really, really well, but it wasn't at all extravagant. And uh, I, th- it, it just blessed me. You could I just sense that there was a heart of humility there. And they weren't going for flash. They were going for function. And I think, Mark, it works really, really well. Um, so as long as they can pay for it, they can afford the mortgage, I think that is okay. Good question, Mark. Thank you. Let's go to Ray on line one. Ray from San Antonio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. Um, um, just two two questions. Um, I don't know if you know uh, the radio station or or the the numbers on the dial in Denver that his uh, radio show is on or what time. But that would be that would be greatly appreciated if you could provide that information and uh, on the on the other end of the situation talking about Denver um, is there any update on uh, Nori how he's doing and I'll just uh, hang up and listen on the radio yes thank you and Nori's doing fine in fact Ray and, and Nori had a heart attack Nori was a former elder who moved to the Denver area um, Nori tells me that he is going to be, is planning on being at our retreat. Uh, he likes Gino a lot, but he just likes being around us. Uh, so uh, he's doing much better. Uh, he had some stints put into his heart, and he was very, very fortunate. God really protected all of us. Uh, for Gino's radio station, yeah, it's 94.7 FM, the word, in Denver, Colorado. So he is actually on the air right now there, and uh, it's 94.7 The Word in Denver. And he's been doing the program for quite some time and uh, um, is a blessing. So uh, they're in Aurora. The station is in Aurora, Colorado. So that's how you could get it, 94.7 The Word. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. 
We're inside two minutes now. Let me see if I have a two-minute question that I can take. Uh, not Richard, I can do. Uh, here's what I can do. Frank, he says, will you discuss vocational ministry? You know, Frank, I've, honestly, I'll be, be very candid. I've never understood vocational ministry. You know, there are especially Lutheran churches uh, and, and other denominations that talk about, well, you know, whatever vocation is, that's the ministry that God has given us, and we serve God by serving there. And typically those people don't serve in churches or things like that, and the reason is because, well, no, my, my ministry is my vocation. Uh, I frankly think that's a cop-out. You know, we're all called to serve the body of Christ, and while we serve Jesus in our jobs, we represent Jesus in our jobs, I think it's a very, very narrow view. Of, of Christians and how to use the gifts that God has given them. So, uh, Frank, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, I wouldn't deny that we're serving God when we're at work, uh, but, but that's certainly not the limit of our service. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, and we'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our second half hour 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here's a question from richard richard this is a wonderful question i could preach a whole message on it i won't but i could richard says Pastor on what does contentment look like? We all want more than we have. Um, contentment, Richard, and, and I'm going to be really personal with you because this is, I think, the single most difficult lesson that I've had to learn uh, in my 26 years as the pastor here at Calvary Chapel. Um, contentment means being in the will of God and being okay with wherever that is. What it looks like is somebody who's grateful. I think that's the first thing that, that comes to mind when I think about contentment. It's, it's, it's a man or woman who's really grateful. They're not focused on what they don't have. They're focused instead on what God has done for them. They're focused on the blessings of God in their everyday life. And they're grateful because they're aware of the blessings. I think a lot of times, Richard, because of a lack of contentment, there are people uh, who aren't even aware of what God is doing in their life, the wonderful blessings that are being poured out day by day. Now, contentment doesn't come natural. We know that because the Apostle Paul says that he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. It's a secret. It certainly doesn't come natural with our flesh. It's not something that we instinctively know. It's a secret, and we have to learn what that secret is. And personally, again, I'm going to make this as personal as I can, Richard. Personally, that's why I keep saying just be with Jesus, because in his presence, it's easy to be content. Now, when I say I've struggled to learn this lesson, I, I confess to another question that that I I wanted a big building like everybody else for a long, long time. Um, you know, we got a pretty large church in terms of numbers of people, but we've got a really small, outdated, um, broken-down facility, and yet God does wonderful things in it. And, and I, I would have other people criticize our building, or they'd say, well, this is a small church because we have a small building, and my ego would be offended. And um, um, I really wrestled with the Lord on this. God, we, if we can't have a building, how, how are we going to grow? If we can't have a building, how are we going to do all the things that you put as a part of our vision? And, and what God taught me, Richard, was that he does just fine wherever he has us. Wherever he has us. I love Moses when he stood at the Red Sea with this impossible circumstance. Uh, the Red Sea is before him. The Egyptian army is bearing down on them. And, and Moses had one thing in his hand. He had a staff. 
And he raised that staff, and the Red Sea parted. What you have, there's another New Testament story. It's a miracle that's included in every gospel account, the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't have food for people. What they found was one little boy who had a sack lunch. Five little pieces of barley bread, really poor people's bread, and two little small fish. And those fish were given to Jesus. He lifted them to heaven and blessed them. And then he gave them to his disciples, and they were enough to feed 5,000 men, forget how many women and children there were, and have 12 basketfuls left over, a, a souvenir for each of the disciples. And that was just Jesus saying, whatever you got is enough. And so, Richard, I had to learn that whatever I have is enough to do what God's asked me to do. And for me, that's how I learned the secret of being content. And when you're with Jesus and you're in the fullness of his joy, I I quote this verse all the time from Nehemiah, um, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Um, when, When we understand that, we're with him, we're not focused on our circumstances. And so I think, Richard, to be content, the secret of, of, of being content requires us to be with Jesus and enjoy his presence regardless of anything and everything else going on in our life. Your statement that we all want more than we have, I think that's one of the things we're going to die to every day. Um, you know, uh, Paul and I, we, we just moved into a new house not long ago, and she drove me one day to a, an area I didn't even know existed in our city. And uh, they had really nice houses, and instantly, Richard, instantly my flesh said, ooh, I like those houses better than my house. Now, we've just been grateful to God for giving us the new house that we have. And and already my flesh is, so I, you know, I had to fight those things. And I just think that's something that we all have to fight all the time. Being content with what we have requires being grateful. You will be grateful if you're in the presence of the Lord. Just be with Jesus. And I think that's the secret that Paul refers to. So, Richard, again, I could preach an entire message on that, but that is a wonderful question. I think that's what contentment looks like. It's just being grateful. Not for what we hope he'll do, but for what he's already done. Thank you for the question, Richard. Leo asks, why does God favor Israel when they reject Jesus? Um, God favors Israel. Now, remember something here, Leo. Um, Individual Jews need Jesus. Israel is the land of God. Israel is the land where Jesus will rule and reign with us for a thousand years. Israel, the people, the nation... Remember, Paul says in the book of Romans that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, Israel means governed by God. So it doesn't mean all Jews are Israel. Jesus, in fact, said to the religious leaders that your father is the devil. If your father was Abraham, you'd believe in me. So not all Jews are governed by God. But the reason God favors Israel is because of the promises that he's made. And God is a promise keeper. And as such, um, those who... Blessed Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be blessed. And Israel is not a Christian nation, not in the least. If you go to, to, I always sort of get a tickle out of when people say, well, are you going to go to the Holy Land? Are you your trip, planning a trip to the Holy Land? Now, I've never been. I don't like to travel. I've never been. Jesus would have to tell me to go. But when they say, have you visited the Holy Land? And I know they mean Israel. There's nothing holy about Israel. There's nothing holy about the dirt other than Jesus walked on it 2,000 years ago. But God favors Israel because Israel has to be there for Jesus to return. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. Um, uh, Israel's going to be rebuilt. It's it's going to be Jesus' home in his glorified, physical, resurrected body. And that's why God favors Israel. And because he does, we do. You know, Leo, I say to our church all the time here that 
If you call yourself a Christian, you have to agree with our Christ. And Israel is the apple of his eye, so we need to bless Israel. We need to be in favor of support for Israel. And anything that that is contrary to that is demonic. And you get a lot of people, especially more of the liberal scholars, the, 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 the critics of the Bible, um, you, you'll get it with, with uh, some progressives that just say, well, Israel is, is not special. They don't love God. And, and um, you know, Jesus had words for them. We, we need to be supporters of Israel. Leo, thank you. I hope that helps. Uh, Miguel says, Pastor Ron, I have a good friend who keeps changing churches. What can I say to him to help him understand that that isn't a good thing to do? You know, Miguel, I've, I've often suspected that the reason people change churches so often is because they don't want to make a commitment to serve a church or to give to a church, nor do they want to be accountable to a church. And I would just explain to him the, the, the concept of being a member of a local church. And I'm not talking about membership the way we view it in our church culture, where you sign a covenant agreement and you agree to give 10% of your money. I'm not talking about that. A member here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, uh, we tell anybody who's been here the second time or more that they're a member. We already claim them. I had somebody come to me not long ago and say, so Pastor and I love the church, but how do I go about becoming a member? And I looked at him and smiled and said, I assumed you already were. How long have you been here? I've been coming for a couple of months. Oh, yeah, you're way past um, not being a member. So um, um, to be an active participant in the body of Christ in the local church is necessary. Uh, and Miguel, there's just too many people that don't want that accountability. They don't want somebody who's going to call them out when they sin. They don't want somebody... Um, who's gonna gonna be there to say, okay, how you doing? Um, it's just it's just really important. It's it's doing things on your own, doing the least you can do, and get by isn't a good thing. You are not a productive member of the body of Christ. You can you can be Christian, but you're not a productive member member of the body of Christ if you're not an active participant in a local church. So that's really, really important. You know, Miguel, the, the idea of fellowship, um, not being on your own, is so important throughout Scripture that the, the, the key verse, Hebrews 10.25, we're told directly not to forsake the assembly together of the saints. Um, but, but that's not just to be a, 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 somebody who sits in, in a church. It's to be active. We've got uh, over 200 people that are coming to our men's retreat this week. And the fellowship is going to be so rich. And people will be serving. Now, we're going to be serving them this weekend. It's it's a men's retreat. But they're going to be serving one another as well. And whether it's the things that we do, the afterglow, um, um, the, the, the sports fellowship that will happen afterwards, people will be playing basketball, others will be playing softball. Uh, we got bikes. It will be up there. People can ride bikes. Uh, during the free time. But the real value of the fellowship comes when you'll see two or three men together in a corner. They've got their arms around each other and they're praying. That's what the fellowship of believers is all about. People getting to know one another. So tell your friend to read his Bible and do what Jesus tells him to do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Jason says, easy question. My pastor sometimes uses foul language in his messages. Is that okay? No, and it's not. A, it's not an easy question either, Jason. Uh, I was sort of stunned when I got your question. Um, I, I know we've gone through a phase. Um, over the last few years where there were pastors trying to be hip and cool and relevant. And so, you know, well, this is the way people talk, so we got to meet them where they are. The pulpit is a holy place. The pulpit is a holy place. It's where we um, discharge our, our our responsibility, our duty, our, our, our gift given by God. I always think of Moses approaching the burning bush and 
Jesus speaking to him and saying, um, remove your sandals, Moses, for the ground that you're on is holy ground. The pulpit is holy ground. Now, I don't say that just because I'm a pastor and my presence there doesn't make it holy, but it is the forum for the Word of God to go out and change people's hearts and lives. And God's Word is holy. God is holy. And we can't bring filth or unholiness in and expect that God is pleased, expect that God is going to bless it. Now, you may have people saying you're cool and you may have great stories and people laughing, but that pulpit is a place for a somber approach to God's holy word. So it is not okay, and I can't imagine using foul language. Jason, I've never even raised my voice in my pulpit. That's how how I revere it. For me to scold, to raise my voice in anger or frustration would be to misrepresent God, like Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And I think pastors like yours who occasionally use foul language or tell slightly off-color jokes, jokes with double entendres, and um, I, I think I think they're misrepresenting God. They're, they're striking the rock twice, and we know how seriously God takes that. So, Jason, that's the answer. Trey says, who are the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11? Uh, Trey, uh, Moses and Elijah. Now, we know for sure Elijah, he's named. Um, Elijah must come before the day of the Lord's return. Elijah, uh, the prince of the prophets, uh, will be one. The other, and I'm 100% convinced, is Moses. Um, It was Moses and Elijah who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Um, They appeared there. Uh, to tell Jesus the things that were going to happen to him, sent by God the Father. Well, in the same way, they're going to be sent by the Father uh, to um, um, the western wall of the of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, and they're going to tell people what's going to happen. They're going to be proclaiming, judgment is at hand, judgment is at hand, repent, judgment is at hand, and, and Moses and Elijah. Now, some people will say, well, I think it's Enoch because Enoch didn't die. Um, that that's an argument from silence. It really does has no value in terms of proving anything. Uh, here's why Moses has to be the other one. Um, they're going to be testimony. They're going to be the, the witnesses of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming. Repent. Repent. Well, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus said, "The law and the prophets speak about me." So the totality of Scripture, Old Testament forward, is about Jesus. And when when God turns his attention again to Israel in the last days, in the, in the Great Tribulation, um, then he's going to go back to the Jewish witnesses, the, the law and the prophets, and, and that's going to be the fulfillment of all of the promises made to the Lord. So those are the two witnesses, Trey, of Revelation chapter 11. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, if salvation is a free free gift, why do we have to repent of our sins? Uh, we don't repent of our sins to get saved. We repent of our sins because salvation is offered. Now, I often say that you can come to Jesus any way at all. You can come to him the way you are. But we have to come on his terms. And remember, I just said it. The ground you're on, Moses is holy ground, take off thy sandals. Um, when you come to Jesus, you're on holy ground. And you can't come unless you're unwilling, uh, I'm sorry, unless you're willing to, to get rid of your sin. So you've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to know you need to be saved. I think there's just too many Christians, anonymous, who, who uh, lack a lot of gratitude in their walk because they didn't think they really needed to be saved. Yeah, I know I'm not perfect, we say. I know I mess up sometimes. But that's what we need to, to repent of. Repentance is the first word of, of the gospel. John the Baptist, his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if we come to Jesus, believe me, you're going to see your sin and your need to be saved. 
So repentance is a turn around in life. I was running away from Jesus. Now I'm going to run to Jesus. That's what repentance is. And that doesn't make salvation uh, anything other than a free gift. We didn't do anything to, to receive it. All we had to do is get to the place where we could accept it. And the first point in accepting God's forgiveness is knowing that we need to be forgiven. So salvation is indeed a free gift. It is not a work to repent. People say, well, that's a work. It's not free if you have to repent. No, repentance is what happens when you meet Jesus. I'm going to say this for about the thousandth time on this radio program, and please pray for my church because they've heard it ten times that many times. If you meet my Jesus, you can't stay the way you are. It's that simple. Anyone at all who claims to have met Jesus and hasn't changed, has not met him. It's that straightforward. You meet him, you change, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in you. The Holy Spirit's first name is Holy, and it makes a difference in who you are. Now, people change at different rates of speed. Some change quickly, instantly. I changed radically, almost right away. And I still had lots of bad habits, I was still dealing with those, but the Holy Spirit did that work. That doesn't mean it was a work of Ron. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. Well, so too is Repentance Anonymous. And yes, you have to come to him on his terms, which means you need to repent. Good question. 340-9585. I think we got a little bit of time left for some phone calls if you're out there and want to call. Charles says, have you actually ever seen a miracle? I don't believe in them because I haven't seen one. Um, Charles, um, I I have seen miracles, um, but it wasn't the kind of miracle like uh, a blind person got got their sight back or um, anything like that. Um, I've seen... um, um, in two cases, people that were that should be dead now. Let me let me put three because Paul and I are two of them. Three people that should be dead by now, uh, whose circumstances were miraculously changed um, instantly. Um, so so uh, I consider that a miracle. Uh, I've not walked on water. Um, I haven't um, um, touched anybody who has uh, an arm or a leg amputated and the leg and the arm grew back. Uh, That hasn't happened. But I have seen miraculous um, um, healings, um, some of them instant. Um, I've seen many more who didn't get healed. I think we've got to understand that. But at the same time, um, I haven't seen the kind of miracles that... uh, you expect when you go to these crazy charismatic churches and things like that. So um, I've seen miracles occur, uh, but it's just not the kind of miracle that you read about uh, in the New Testament when Jesus was doing them or when Paul or Peter or James or John or any of the other apostles were doing them. But um, I do believe in miracles. Uh, I think our problem, Charles, is that we have grown to expect that miracles would be commonplace. Uh, and I think that is two things. I think it's a lack of gratitude. I think it's a, an ignorance of what the Word of God says. But uh, miracles in the Bible were sign gifts. Um, if you lived in a different part of the world, I think you would see miracles. Uh, if you lived in a third world country, if you lived in a Muslim country, um, you would see miracles because they would be sign gifts pointing to Jesus. In this country, Charles, we don't need any more signs to know where Jesus is. I told the church the other night, we've got the empty tomb. It's the greatest sign ever, the empty tomb. In the United States, there's so much light. There's so much information. We don't need miracles. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders. Um, But I have seen miraculous things. Uh, and I've seen them many, many times. I was actually a part of a miracle, sort of, one time, Charles. Um, um, we did a, a, an outreach in Reynosa, Mexico, 15 years ago. And um, when we did that outreach, 
uh, I don't speak Spanish. For two and a half days, I did. I spoke Spanish. And God honored it, and people got saved. So, Charles, believe. Open your heart. Read your Bible. Open your heart. And believe. We walk by faith and not by sight. Well, we're inside two minutes now. Um, let's see what we've got. Let's see if we've got a really quick question. Here's what I can do. Brian says, how do you avoid burnout while serving the Lord? Um, Brian, I don't, I, this is another concept I don't understand. I get plenty tired. I'm old. I get plenty tired. But but burnout, I, I, I wake up with a passion to serve the Lord every day. And um, I just think we have to understand that we are to spend and be spent. That's what the Apostle Paul terms, uh, terms he uses. Think about it this way. Paul said, I'm spent but willing to be spent. In other words, I got nothing left, but I'm going to give it. So uh, uh, this is a passion for me. And I think it ought to be a passion for every Christian. I think when you uh, find people struggling with burnout, and we talk about that, you know, I'm going to just chill for a while. I'm all I'm burned out. I don't want to get burned out. Uh, I think they're serving the Lord in their own strength instead of in the strength of the Lord. Uh, every night I go to sleep, uh, I wake up with a whole new batch of grace to prepare me for the next day. And God has never once in my 30 years walking with him, he's never once failed to give me a whole new batch of grace for the day for whatever it is I need. So I think burnout is a sign of flesh. Thanks, Brian. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.